Thank you for tuning in to Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast. I'm Vicki James and the host of Murder Sandwich. And today for our third episode, I am joined by the incredibly talented Devin Adams. Hello. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. So we are going to be doing today's true crime story actually in two parts. So this is part one. Uh, It's actually quite the big case for anyone that does know what we're doing. So I do want to quickly put in, uh, you know, listener discretion because it does contain pretty mature and graphic content. So viewer and listener discretion is advised. So with that, go grab yourself a BLT, Reuben, or even a turkey club and let's mow down on some true crime. So in 1997, Wendy Estetter was a sex worker, and she resided in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. A John had picked her up in the evening in a part of Vancouver that is called East Hastings. It's known for frequent drug use, homelessness, and sex workers. He offered to pay her above her asking price, which was about $40, and he offered her $100 for oral sex but only if he was able to drive her to his house located in Port Coquitlam, which is about an hour away from where they were located. She agreed, but once in the vehicle, Wendy started to feel pretty unsafe and uneasy. On the way to the John's house, she asked to stop at a Petro-Canada gas station to go to the bathroom, as she was hoping to be able to run away. He did not acknowledge her request and continued to drive down the road. When they arrive at the John's residence, she asks to call her boyfriend at the time, and while dialing the John, comes up behind her and handcuffs one of her wrists. She immediately starts fighting back so that he's not able to handcuff her other wrist. She was able to find a kitchen knife and ends up slashing his neck, and the John got the knife from her and repeatedly stabbed her, puncturing her lung and partially disemboweling her. She ran out of the road and flanked down a car who took her to the closest hospital. The John would eventually end up at the same hospital with blood-soaked clothes where police had also arrived. She identified the John in the hospital as her attacker. When the police were detaining the John, they actually found the key to her handcuffs in his pocket. The John was charged and released on a $2,000 bond, but the charges would be dismissed in January of 1998. Since Wendy was a sex worker, the police actually deemed her not reliable. If the police had investigated further and taken in the John's clothes, they would have found DNA and blood of two other missing women from East Hastings. This is the story of Robert Picton, the pig farm killer and most prolific serial killer in Canada. say though like that's such fucking bullshit oh she's a sex worker not reliable he has the handcuff keys in his goddamn pocket must have been a sex game i know right it's fucking so stupid <laughs> like it's ridiculous she actually like tried to clean up after when she was in the hospital actually yeah and ended up falling back into it just like from the trauma and stuff mm-hmm. and so like when they eventually wanted to revisit the case the prosecution was like interviewing her and she actually fell asleep and like was you know not doing very well with her life at that time and they were just like yeah like no no and i was like that's so like he disemboweled her yeah 
had the key in his fucking pocket. Could you have any more evidence? Probably not the guy. (laughs) Probably not him. You know what? And he seems like super, he seems like a super nice guy. So we'll just let him free. Yeah. He looks like an upstanding citizen. Yep. (laughs) Loves pigs. (laughs) So to go a little bit backwards from where we went in our introduction. So this is Robert William Picton or Willie. He was born on October 24th, 1949. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a Scorpio. <laughs> Terrifying. Actually, most Scorpios are serial killers. Is apparently. He, yeah, I guess he would be because... He's right on the edge of Libra and Scorpio. Even scarier. <laughs> exactly. This is not an attack on any Libra or Scorpios, <laughs> no. just to preface. So, he was born actually in Port, Co- Port Coquitlam in British Columbia, Canada, Port Coquitlam, or what we're probably going to refer to as Poco, is located about an hour out of Vancouver, British Columbia. For any non-Canadian listeners, that is one of the largest metropolitan areas in Canada. It has a total like density population of 2.4 million, which it does include Port Coquitlam. Yeah, it's uh, obviously a very huge city. Huge for Canada. Yeah, huge for Canada. Any other <laughs> listeners, like, U.S. is probably, like, 2.4 mil. What? Yeah. For any older listeners, um, it's part of the world. It, 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 that's where the World Expo was held, right? Okay. Yeah. And that's why they have the floating McDonald's there. Right. I forgot about the floating McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. So, Willie was actually born to parents Louise and Leonard. Uh, Louise was actually quite a lot younger than Leonard. He was born in, like, 1896, and she was born in 1914. So, like, different centuries. And old as fuck. Yes. <laughs> um, they had, uh, Leonard had actually inherited his family pig farm from his grandfather, so actually been, like, in the family for, like, quite a while. What an heirloom. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the farm is where they sold hogs and ground up pork. pork. Uh, Willie had one older sister named Linda, and a younger brother named Dave, who was only, like, a year younger than him. And Leonard was, like, ridiculously not involved with the children at all. Like, people said he just, like, didn't care about them <laughs> at all. <laughs> just, he just loved pigs. Yeah. I don't even know if he loved pigs, because apparently Louise just also ran the farm. She ran the farm so much that pigs ran around the house, like, inside the house. So she was a pig. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she would just let everyone roam everywhere. She expected the kids to work 12 hours a day while go to school. So they only went to school like two hours or two days a week. And they only bathed once a week. So they constantly smelled like manure and like pig blood and delicious. Nice things. grossness. Yeah. Gross. So yeah, they were quite known to be unhygienic and... And wearing clothes with, like, really gross things on there. And then Robert did develop a severe fear of showers. He claimed it was because his mom always, like, instilled the fact that he has to have a bath. It just seems like a weird fear to randomly develop just because you take baths. Yeah, it's bizarre. (laughs) Like, I take only showers, but I'm not afraid to fucking hop into a bath (laughs) once in a while, for Christ's sake. Yeah, like, I don't... Yeah, so, yeah, so as he grew older, his hygiene, like, literally never improved. Like, people would, like, quite comment on his grossness. He smelled like shit. Yes, he smelled like (laughs) shit. It even has been said that Willie would crawl into gutted carcasses of large hogs when he was, like, scared and wanted to get away from people. That's quite the security blanket. (laughs) I literally couldn't. When I heard that, I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) 
Yeah, so... And, like, did like if he did it right after his weekly bath, like, that's just... Yeah, like, what Super a, unfortunate. A super, super, super unfortunate situation. I can imagine, like, when I <laughs> look at the mental image of him getting scared, like, almost like a cat, like, hiding into something. Like, he literally just hit the floor and slid into the pig. <laughs> that's how I look at it. It's an image. <laughs> One that's rather interesting. I picture, like, a little cave. Um, <laughs> that is at the shape of, like, the rib cage. <laughs> and then he just kind of opens the flap. Then Stop! Of his stomach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are both of our visuals. Yeah. So. And my pig feature just came in <laughs> featuring pig snort. <laughs> yeah. I actually did read once that their house when he was young, like, didn't have any actual running water, and he actually slept in, like, an old chicken coop, and he would have to, like, lift up the floorboards and drink out of the water on the, coming out of the water on the ground, because it was, like, the only fresh water out of, like, a spring. So, like, needless to say, it was, like, he, yeah, like, it was rough times for old Willie there. (laughs) So when he was 12, he actually saved up money, and he went to, like, a like a farm auction and he bought a calf and he like loved it came home like fed it took care of it like whole nine yards and then one day he came home and it was gone so he asked his mom and she was like oh yeah we slaughtered it and like sold the meat and he talked about it like well into his adult life about this like traumatic moment apparently she offered him 20 bucks like she felt bad (laughs) she didn't even give him a steak no veal for willie (laughs) no no veal he wasn't really the best student in school. I'm obviously assuming it's because his mom made him work 12 hours a day. And only went to school two days a week. Yeah. Um, he was like, I read he was in some special needs classes, but people didn't really know if he really belonged there. But he ended up dropping out around the age of 15. Then we have a pretty f- sad story. So on the evening of October 16th, 1967, Willie's younger brother, Dave, who's 16, had just received his driver's license. So he took his father's like 1960 red pickup truck from the farm and headed down the road around 740. And while he was driving, he noticed one of the neighbor kids, Tim Barrett, who was only 14 and he was walking down the road. And we don't know if it was intentional or not, but Tim Barrett was struck by the red truck. And once he was struck, Dave went home to grab his mom, Louise. She showed up, looked at Tim, who was still alive, but like clearly injured, and then just pushed him into the ditch beside the road. And he ended up drowning and dying. So. Beautiful. Um, Dave went to a mechanic to fix the dent, headlight, and paint afterwards. The mechanic refused to fix the paint, but fixed everything else. And then meanwhile, Tim Barrett's parents went out looking for him when he didn't return home. Neighbors came out and were searching, but it actually wasn't until the next day that they would find Tim Lane in the ditch. The coroner advised he was struck by a vehicle, but confirmed that the cause was drowning. So Louise murdered him. Yeah. So there was a full investigation. They figured out Dave did it. Mm-hmm. And he was sent to juvie. And yeah, no one found out about Louise being involved at all until after she died. And Dave and Willie like told the story to people. Like she just went home and it was fine. And just killed this calf and just kept going on. <laughs> yeah. 
So Willie's sister would just eventually leave the farm when she was a teenager to live with extended family because she just like couldn't reside there anymore. And then Willie's dad, Leonard, passed away in the early 70s. And then Louise would end up passing away a year later from cancer. And then that's when Willie and Dave inherited the family farm. And then between 94 and 95, Willie and Dave actually ended up selling off pieces of the farm to like urban developments. And they only left them with like 6.5 hectares. They kept some of the pigs, uh, would continue like making money that way. And then they actually got $5.16 million for that. For just pieces of the property. Yes. Apparently there's a strip mall there now. So shopping spree. <laughs> Honestly, like the two worst people to get that much money though, because like they probably yeah. didn't do much with it. No, they just bought drugs for sex workers and <laughs> murdered them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna take a sidetrack and we're gonna talk about downtown Vancouver because it's like pretty important to the story. Yeah. So yeah, downtown East Side Vancouver or East Hastings. Uh, It is known for, like, pretty high rates of poverty and homelessness and open drug use, like, heroin just, like, right out in the street, and prostitution. It is primarily on a street called East Hastings, hence the name, Um, but lots of people call it the low track, which I actually didn't know. I didn't know that either until I was watching a video yesterday. Yeah. And I was like, really interesting, because I've been on East Hastings. I've never heard never? it referred to... Or I, I've been on East Hastings, but I've just never heard it referred to that. No, never. I, I When I was watching the video yesterday, it talked about that, like, the police and, like, government officials in the area referred to it as the low track, which is ultimately sad, because they're, you know, just categorizing the people that live on there, which, in the history of East Hastings, it's actually... The way that it is because of the government, like people's welfare in the area, they lost their jobs and their welfare got cut by a significant amount, which forced them onto the street. And when you don't have a place to live, unfortunately, you like end up having to do shit that you never thought you were going to have to do to stay alive. Like people are out there with their kids and like children are prostituting as young as 11 years old was what I read on East Hastings. And it's so sad. Like when I drove down it, there was literally people with blankets and every single belonging that they had on the blanket. They were trying to sell it just to be able to make money, like actual garbage, like empty wrappers they were trying to sell, which might sound a little ridiculous, but like (laughs) they don't have anything else. And it's just really, it's fucked up. Yeah. Do better government. (laughs) Sorry, I scared you. You did scare me. (laughs) Shouting. Um, so the Greyhound bus station is like right close to East Hastings. And so when me and my dad would take the Greyhound like down to Nanaimo, we would like stop there. And one time my dad actually walked me down East Hastings to, you know, give me like a little scare, which I don't understand because I wasn't like not a bad kid at that time or anything. So don't know why he's giving me a scare, but that was, it was like haunting. It was like, like 11 o'clock at night. And I- oh my God. It was nighttime? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't know what he was thinking, but I just, like, I still remember it, like, so clear as day, and I'm like, I'm the only time I've ever been down there. So, thanks, Dad. So, but you know what? Maybe that's what scared me so straight. I've never been back. Don't want to be down there. I and, and I remember after, I was like, 
that wasn't so bad because like no one like I was on the outside where like the people are like I'm on the roadside because yeah. like all the people are on like the side of the buildings mm-hmm. and I was like oh like he's like what did you think and I was like kind of scary but like not too bad like no one talked to us and then dad was like four people asked me for drugs and then I was like oh my god I didn't hear anyone talk to us he's like it's just a look <laughs> I, like, I cannot <laughs> four people asked me for drugs with a look with a look but looking back, like look now that I'm older, I totally get what he means. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the hey, yeah, like hey, you got any stuff? <laughs> you want stuff? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. So unfortunately, since the 70s, women who have resided on East Hastings were being reported missing. But due to being marginalized women, like no one took anyone seriously. Like to the point where like some were not even miss like reported missing for years. Like one girl was like five years. Yeah. And then one girl, like, dropped her friend off at the ferry to go to Vancouver Island. And then, like, months later, figured out that she never even made it there. So it's just, like, bizarre. It literally got to the point where sex workers were walking down the streets in groups and were writing down license plate numbers of Johns who were going to pick them up. But, like, it never went anywhere because people were still going missing. Mm -hmm. And no one did anything about it. Like, literally nothing at all. So, in 1987, the RCMP did set up a special team to investigate the unsolved murders and disappearances of the sex trade workers, but it was disbanded only two years later due to limited progress. So, good job. (laughs) (laughs) He did a great job. So, in 1991, the families of the missing women, along with advocates for sex trade workers, they actually went, like, on a Valentine's Day remembrance walk as, like, a memorial kind of thing for sex trade workers, and the victims and this this was basically them demanding like a full investigation from the RCMP because since in 91 it's like it's basically been 20 years like yeah. come on like let's do something about this but the RCMP just totally refused to acknowledge and did not want to say there was a serial killer and their only excuse was the fact that there was no bodies and like we've been to Vancouver there's lots of places to hide bodies there like sorry yeah there's literally over 50 women that are just like dropped off the face of the earth there's an ocean right there yeah think people can't put people in the ocean they put them in the lake here (laughs) exactly (laughs) ridiculous so picton did become like pretty familiar with east hastings as he visited like a rendering plant down there for like the disposed animal parts i did have to google what rendering was and it's melting fat in case anyone is curious (laughs) but he would cruise this 10 block strip and just offer women money and drugs and then take them back to his farm where he lived like in a trailer on the property and then finally in 2001, the Vancouver police and RCMP formed Project Evenhanded, and it was a joint task force to investigate the missing women from the downtown east side. And it went on for like quite a while. And actually, they kind of did something about it finally. So we're finally going to talk about the chunk of the story. So that's Robert Picton so far. <laughs> So in 1996, Dave and Willie converted one of the buildings on the farm and they called it the glorious name, the Piggy Palace, <laughs> which sounds just, I don't even know what. I I also don't know what. <laughs> Every time I hear it, I just get like the heebie-jeebies, like that shiver up your spine and you're like also gagging at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, what? <laughs> They also founded a nonprofit charity with the provincial government, and they called it <laughs> the Piggy Palace Good Time Society. It's a good old time. I can't. Down here at the Piggy Palace. 
The function was of which listed to like organize, coordinate, manage, and operate special events, functions, dances, shows, and exhibitions on behalf of service organizations, sports organizations, and other worthy groups. Mm-hmm. So, could you imagine like being like on a football team and be like, yeah, we're gonna have like our after party at the Piggy Palace? Yeah, I'd be like, no. <laughs> Almost as creepy as those little characters at Scandia (laughs) that do the little show. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) So these parties were like quite the talk of the area. It's been rumored that police and politicians and Hell's Angels would go there. Shocker! (laughs) And then this is how like Willie, who also, by the way, at this time's nickname was, and wait for it, (laughs) Pork Chop Rob. So many aliases. (laughs) There actually was like a list of like little aliases yet, but that was my favorite one. Pork Chop Rob. Yeah, loving it. Or like so Pork Chop Rob or members members of the Hell's Angels uh would bring back sex workers from East Hastings. And then it said that seventeen hundred people would actually be in attendance of these parties. Um actually my sister did attend a few of these parties. So really? Yes. So my <laughs> sister is no longer with us, actually. She passed away, passed away a couple years ago. Um, but when she was alive, she did tell me that she went to a few of those parties. Did she say anything about them? No, she said that they were, like, wild and it was really dirty there. And she said there was always, like, tons of people. But she just, like, always got a bad vibe. Yeah. So, like, that's why she only went, like, a couple times. Yeah. Plus, like, my sister is originally from Nanaimo, which is just, like, a ferry over from Vancouver. Yeah. And uh, there was lots of rumors going around there that if you do party in Vancouver to, like, not go to the Picton farm because, like, women go missing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, like, she probably knew about that. Yeah, after a while. Yeah. Because, like... Everybody else listened except the police. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So um, at New Year's Eve of 1998, they actually had a New Year's Eve party. And... The, that's when the Picton boys were sued for violating zoning laws. Okay. They were totally forbidden for having any more parties. What a shame. Yeah. So they actually only lasted for a few years, which is pretty interesting. Um, so they must have really pissed off their neighbors. <laughs> and then the Piggy Palace Good Time Society was actually disbanded by the government in January of 2000. And they didn't provide like mandatory financial statements, probably because they were accepting bribes. And didn't want to write it down. Yeah. Where's the money going to? Booze. Because they're like, they. it was like, it wasn't even BYOB. It was like, we have the booze and the murder. And the drugs. <laughs> come. Yeah. Come <laughs> one, come all. <laughs> we have pigs. <laughs> Uh, So during the 1996 to 1999 that the Piggy Palace was still running, that's actually where that story took place about Wendy from the beginning. Mm -hmm. He was charged with attempted murder there, but prosecutors felt that she was just unstable and couldn't give accurate testimony. So they dropped it. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So in 1999, an anonymous tip actually came in. And the police advised that our good old pork cop Rob was keeping human flesh on freezers on the property. They actually got a warrant, but they never searched property. They were like, yeah, whatever. It's probably fine. Yeah. We're, gonna, we're going to his place on Friday for a party. Like, yeah. we'll just check that. It's human fine. flesh, human schmesh. Who cares? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
And then later that year, an informant did tell Vancouver police that a single mother and drug addict named Lynn Ellison had seen a woman's body hanging in the Picton slaughterhouse. <clears throat> so essentially, Lynn and Picton like went to East Hastings, picked up a sex worker, brought her back. They're like partying a little bit. And then at some point, like Lynn goes away. Mm-hmm. And when she comes back, it's like really late at night now. And the light's on in the slaughterhouse. And she's like, weird. So she goes in there and sees like that sex worker and she's hanging on a hook and her face is missing. And Picton comes out from around the corner and says, she was a pig. So I treated her like one. So the police go and like ask her about that. And she was just like, totally denied it. Later, she did admit it, and she just said that she feared Picton and depended on him for money and drugs at the time. So she, like, didn't want to lose that connection. Or her face. Or her face. Yeah. I read that, and I was like, you're a fucking pig. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fuck you. Yeah. Gross. Super gross. And what in the knife skills is that? Just take someone's face off? Like, is this House of a Thousand Corpses? I actually read that he was sent, when he quit school, he was sent to, like, learn how to butcher from a butcher for, like, six months or a year or something like that. So he actually, like, was, he knew how to butcher, but apparently faces, too. Yeah, maybe he just, like, took a pig's face off. Butcher was like, want to see a cool trick? He just... <laughs> Adapted it to human faces, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe. So, actually, in early 1999 now, Bill Hiscox, who was, like, this farmhand that worked at the Picton farm, he informed the RCMP that this uh, Lisa Yelds, who's, like, a really longtime childhood friend of Picton, had told him that she had seen women's clothing, like, purses and ID and all of this stuff at the farm. And Hiscox believed that they were actually the property of all these missing women. Because at this time, like, this is when it was, like, really ramping up in the area. And he noticed that some of the women who had m- went missing had been at the farm, like, shortly before. Mm-hmm. So he was, like, kind of putting two and two together. Yeah. Here. But when they went and questioned Lisa, the police, she was completely uncooperative. And they just, yeah, they received a second complaint from him. But, like, they couldn't do it over hearsay. They wanted him to, like, physically see something, and he had never actually seen it. So, again, they just, like, totally ignore what's going on. They're like, we had a warrant one time, and we did nothing about it. Now. Now we just don't want to get one. Like, it's too much work. He's just stopping. (laughs) Why is people so obsessed with Robert Picton? (laughs) Yeah, he's so popular. (laughs) And Robert Picton's like, you can't sit with us. So in early 2002 now, this is in February, Scott Chubb, who used to work as a truck driver for the Picton Farm, he informed the RCMP of Port Coquitlam now that he personally seen illegal guns in the Picton trailer home. And then this information, finally, they got a search warrant. And this they really did it in. Yeah. And like they actually went this time. So they were like illegal guns. That's we care it. about that. Human flesh, people's belongings. We don't give a fuck about that shit. (laughs) But the weapons, that could do real harm. It could, yeah. (laughs) On February 5th, officers of the task force finally raided the pig farm. And then they did find the several illegal and unregistered guns. But they also found some items of the missing women. So, like, clothes, ID, purses, shoes, jewelry. And the most interesting one, an asthma inhaler. 
that had the name like on the prescription tag or whatever. And it belonged to Serena Abbotsway, who had disappeared in 2001. So they were like, ha, 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 ha. So they went back. They got a second search warrant to search the entire property. And so that's where they ended up testing the blood that they found in the motorhome. And it belonged to Amona Wilson, who disappeared in November of 2001 and is the last person that we know of that attended the Picton farm. So two down. <laughs> and so in February of 2002, Picton was finally rearrested and charged with two counts of murder for Serena Abbotsway and Mona Wilson. On April 2nd, three more charges were added for the murders of Jacqueline McDonnell, Diane Rock, and Heather Bottomley. On April 9th, they added charges for Andrea Josbury and Brenda Wolf. On September 20th, so this is now like a few months later, they added four more charges for Georgina Pappen, Patricia Johnson, Helen Hallmark, and Jennifer Firminger. On October 3rd, four more charges were added for Heather Shinnock, Tanya Holick, Sherry Irvine, and Inga Hall. And then this brought the total to 15. So a few years later, 12 more charges were laid for Kara Ellis, Andrea Borhaven, Deborah Lynn Jones, Marnie Frey, Tiffany Drew, Carrie Kosky, Sarah DeVries, Cynthia Felix, Angela Jardin, Wendy Crawford, Diane Melnick, and Jane Doe, who unfortunately they couldn't identify Jane Doe. Mm-hmm. So this actually brought the total to 27 first degree murder charges, which like, wow. <laughs> Devin's just sitting here shaking her head. I'll narrate. <laughs> Insert eye roll. <laughs> exactly. So he was being held in jail in Surrey, uh, which is just another city within the metropolitan area of Vancouver. And he share, actually shared a cell with an undercover RCMP officer who he just believed was another detainee. And like, they were obviously trying to get him to talk and mm-hmm. he totally fell for it. He just fucking spilled the beans. Like I watched, you can watch it on YouTube, like you can find it. And he literally is like, yeah, so I killed 49 people. Ugh. I really wanted one more. The big five zero. I hate odd numbers. Yeah, he's like... I can't even count to 49. He, he just starts, like, talking. He's like, you know, a good way to get rid of bodies is, you know, rendering them. And then I'm like, it, like, you. So like, he's just totally blowing everything. And he's like, oh, you know, they're going to get me. Like, at this time, he'd only been charged for, like, two, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, like, yeah, back when it was just Serena Abbotsway and Mona Wilson. And he literally was like, two down... 47 to go like he just (laughs) like no fight left in him pretty much so yeah you can find them online if anyone's interested in listening to those it's uh yeah it's interesting and and it's just like the footage of him in the cell with the rcmp officer and the rcmp's like yeah the big 5-0 like just going along with it and he's like blah 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 (laughs) (laughs) so weird so they did obviously continue to search the property They found remains of victims and they, man, they found like a lot. So they found like tons of skulls, parts of skulls. Some of them were like just the jaw of the skull and they'd have like fingers sticking out of them. Um, Yeah, human hands, tons. And there was, they found in total DNA of 33 women. Uh, There was bloody clothing belonging to one victim, like a jawbone of another. And then this is great. They found a 22 revolver with a dildo. Attached to the barrel. I have to say the, f- the best part, though. Say the best part. The best part is 
Willie explained that the dildo on the end of the barrel was just simply a silencer. I don't believe that for an actual second. I'm sorry. Like, you couldn't find another thing to silence a gun? And, like, who brought the dildo? Did a sex worker have it? Did you buy it for a sex worker? Why was the dildo hollowed out? I have so many questions. I didn't even think about it being hollowed out. Yeah. Do you think he just shot it once and just, like, stuck it in there as best as he could? and it's like, dope, here's a fucking makeshift urethra. Well, maybe he, like, unscrewed the one part where the batteries go in and... Was it a suction cup dildo? Nobody knows. (laughs) I didn't even look for a photo, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) You didn't want to make it your screensaver? Not today. Um, (laughs) They also found, like, photos of garbage cans that would be containing, like, what looked like remains of a victim. Through the investigation on the farm, uh, they, you know, police found evidence that he had actually... Prepare yourself. To the listeners as well, not just Evan, obviously. I know about this. <laughs> I know. Uh, he actually fed the bodies to the pigs on the farm, either before or after dismembering the bodies, and found evidence that bodies were ground up in the meat grinder on the property, some of which had been mixed into the ground pork and was sold to locals. The rest of the remains were then taken to the rendering plant along with the leftover pig meat. So. Be thankful you're not a Poco Loco. Yeah. Instead of Loco. Poco Loco. Well, the Poco local residents were probably going Loco. Oh, yeah. Um, I did post um, on... I can't remember if I read this comment on like YouTube or if it was like a comment somewhere. I can't remember. Um, but it said that apparently this person's like family lived in the area and actually was like unfortunately one of the people that like bought pork from him. And they're now like total vegetarians and like can't even be in the same room with pork. What? Yeah. Wow. And there's like. <laughs> I say it like that because I'm like, no fucking shit. Yeah. I wouldn't even ever be able to look at a pig. Charlotte's Web ruined. Babe, ruined. Ruined. <laughs> <laughs> when I was researching this, there was like all these facts about pigs and about how they're just like totally ruthless and like can rip bodies apart and like just leave like tiny bones. And like that's what police said is that there was just like tiny bones and like this huge oh yeah pig pit. They've got a crazy mandible. They be crushing shit. <laughs> They're super smart. It's very intelligent of like a four-year-old, five-year-old. But they be fucking shit up. Like as great of possibilities could come out of a situation like this, doesn't seem like he ever fed them the bodies while they were still alive. No. There's reports that he, like, you know, like, raped them and then murdered them mm -hmm. and then fed them to the pigs. Or, like, he put parts of their body, like, in the grinder and, Mm -hmm. like, blah, blah, blah. And and there's also, like, a website out there where you can, like, you can actually, like, apply to the government to get, like, a rebate. Yeah, I saw that. On your taxes if you, like, felt like you were a victim of, like, the Picton pork. I wonder how much the rebate ends that. Did I? Picton pork. Picton pork. Picton porky pig. <laughs> Piggy palace. <laughs> Awful. So the pig farm actually became the largest crime scene in Canadian history. Uh, this These facts are like, I actually thought those, this was super crazy. So investigators took 200,000 DNA samples and seized 600,000 exhibits. 
and archaeologists and forensic experts needed heavy equipment to sift through 383,000 cubic yards of soil in search of human remains. And then the cost of this uh, investigation costed the provincial government of British Columbia $70 million. Yeah. So. Just a fraction of what the Picton brothers made from the pieces of land. <laughs> I was just going to say, that's not near as much as <laughs> how much the land is apparently worth. So. That's crazy. And that's where we're going to end part one. But any thoughts about what we talked about so far? <laughs> it's fucked up. <laughs> it is. And it would have cost them far less money and far less lives lost if they would have just, I don't know, fucking searched the property when they had a fucking search warrant. <laughs> it's true. It's actually, like, it is really crazy. Like, how much they just are like, oh, whatever. And that's why people do think that this was, like, a partial cover-up by the police down there. Yeah, I mean, they were visiting the farm. Like, you are trained, or, you know, one would hope you paid attention to the training to be able to, like, at least somewhat profile someone. And you knew that, like, drugs were being, illegal drugs were being given to women. And they likely patrolled the East Hastings area at some point and would say, oh, hey, you know, Mona's not here anymore. Like, last time I saw her, she was at the fucking Picton farm. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it, There has to be people that swept it under the rug because they didn't want to be put out as a dirty cop. Well, that's the thing is, like, it's just rumors that cops went there. But, like, did the rumor actually start from somewhere? Was it legitimate? It probably was legitimate, unfortunately. Yeah, like, at that time, like, for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it was a bit more prevalent at that point. Things just weren't as you know, social media wide, like we didn't have to worry about things like that getting out. They didn't have to worry about a photo getting posted to Facebook. Like no. things were easily swept under the rug and yeah, you band together, right? Like that's the thing is people were there to protect their fellow officers. And it's just really sad because the women that they had missing from East Hastings was very close to the amount of people that he claimed to kill. It was either 54 or 64 women that were missing. And And it was from like 1973, which would have been like around where his parents died. Yeah. So essentially he killed all the women after his parents died more than likely. Yeah. In his early twenties starting. There's no mention of his brother getting arrested at all. Like, his brother was obviously involved in something. There's just no way. Oh, yeah. His brother is sick as fuck. And, like, I've actually seen there's been recent sightings of him. Yeah. In the lower mainland area. Like, he has... uh, And we're going to talk about him, like, a lot in the second part. Because that's, like, part of the thing is, like, what's gone on since. And, yeah. yeah, Like, he has been spotted. And And women are going missing. Yes. And he had come forward at one point saying that he, like, hates sexual assault victims and he was convicted of sexual assault in 1988 and that he like he wants to kill people that have been assaulted because he just has some sort of like sick hate for them so fuck you robert picton fuck you david picton so i actually read that robert picton wrote a book from jail yeah from that was a terrible (laughs) from jail (laughs) So he wrote a book from jail and like he got it out 
And it was, like, selling on, like, eBay and stuff like that. But then they, like, ceased it. But um, I couldn't find, like, obviously a copy of the book. But people, there were some articles where people were just talking about it. And uh, it basically said that it was, like, he's totally innocent. And that the police were the ones, like, coming there (laughs) and doing all of that. Mm -hmm. But I... And he was just hiding in a pig carcass the whole time, right? Yeah, because he was scared of the police. I obviously don't... But I would just love to read the book. Yeah. Just for For curiosity purposes. It's a short novel, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It's like... He dropped out quite early. I saw a picture of it, and it was, like, decently sized. It had a yellow cover, and it was, like, this, like... But did you see the font size? Was it an illustration? I didn't see the font size. (laughs) There's like scribbles. (laughs) This is the barn. It would be a really interesting read, though, just to see what he. Just like his thoughts. Like, where are they going? Can he make linear thoughts? Yeah, do the lies add up? (laughs) Are they all over the place? Yeah. Yeah, I found that like ridiculously interesting. But you can't make like, I can't remember if it's the States or Canada, but in one of them or both, you can't make a profit when you're in jail. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, the son of Sam wanted to write, like has books, but you'll never make money off of them. Yeah. So like... Who cares then? That's obviously why you're doing that. Yeah, exactly. No one else cares about your story. No, nobody gives a fuck. We that, know what you did, idiot. So like, I want to read the Robert Picton book, but I want to pay for it and him get any money. Yeah, obviously. absolutely not. He doesn't need to profit off of the fucking countless lives that he completely ruined and families that just didn't get to spend time with their loved ones. I totally think that like he's responsible for all of the missing women, if not like... 80 to 90 percent of them even from back in the 70s even though like he doesn't get convicted or even like those ones aren't even talked about like they don't know what happened to them i think it was him and i just think that like through the years like there there was just no evidence of them being there well and there was a few that they ended up taking off the list i did read about that um had just shown up like they ended up seeing themselves on like a missing persons report or like a televised thing about missing people and they're like I'm alive. (laughs) I'm now living in Ontario was one of them. And it's like a couple of those were taken off. So now you're knocking it down a few and we're getting quite close to the the claimed number, you know, that the RCMP did because Robert Picton is innocent. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it's just, it's a really unfortunate situation on all ends. The RCMP did a fucking bang up job on protecting and serving you know, the title of their fucking job, just huge failure. And yeah, people lost their lives and, you know, doing drugs and being a sex worker doesn't invalidate your ability to be a speaking about like how you, how you have been treated and yeah, sex work is real work and that needs to be looked at differently. Oh, for sure. Especially justice system. The justice system in Canada is ass cheeks. Yeah, it's so. true. The justice system is not great here at Sucks. all. So. But till next time. Yeah. So, yeah. So we will be doing the second part in the next episode, which is in two weeks. And we'll be covering after he gets arrested and all about the little conspiracy theories and a little bit more information about Robert Picton's family and where they are at now. 
So thank you everyone for listening. And if you want to follow the podcast on Instagram, my handle is Murder Sandwich Podcast. And just let all your friends and everyone know um, about this cool little Canadian podcast. Yeah, and I wanted to thank Vicky for having me on the show. I am super interested in true crime. I always have been ever since I was literally in elementary school. <laughs> the creepiest child ever. <laughs> and yeah, I hope to be here more and be able to go over things and give you guys some information on stuff that you might not know about. Maybe some of your favorite cases or cases you didn't know about. Yeah. Also, hi, Danielle. I know you're listening. <laughs> That's my instructor at school. <laughs> Okay, until next time, everyone, have a good night. Bye.